Psalm 62, to the chief musician, to Jeduthun, the Psalm of David. Truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be greatly moved. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. My soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Surely men of low degree are a vapour, men of high degree a lie. If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapour. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. Lord, will you by your spirit lead us this night into all truth? Will you guide us to understand, to appropriate, to appreciate these things that are written for our benefit. Help us, O oh God, to trace your way in these words. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. In one of the paradoxes of Christian life, peace can involve a great battle. We wish to be submissive to the will and the way of God. We want to show a Christian calmness in which we are unruffled by some of the trials that come upon us. We want to be exemplary, exemplary, faithful saints. We want to be those who trust in the Lord God, whose feet are firmly set on that firm ground. But the problem is that real life so often intrudes, that we, we find our calmness disrupted, our peace unsettled, our faith shaken, our submission to the will of God, which we really do seek and which we really do endorse, that readiness to have God order all our ways and to trust in him whatever comes to pass, when whatever comes to pass comes to pass, how easily we can be shaken, shaken individually, shaken as a church. We can feel like a leaning wall and a tottering fence, which may in fact be a reference not to the, uh, the people who are attacking the man, but the man who's being attacked. He feels like he could go over at any moment. Despite our best intentions, despite what may feel like our best efforts, most of us are very easily knocked down by trials and temptations. We feel perhaps as if we are on the verge of being utterly overwhelmed. 
We do not know how we will be able to stand. And the question then comes, what is then my refuge? How can I hold fast? When these trials and temptations come upon me, what is my response to them? What would be the way in which Christ would have me go? Where have the saints of the past walked? Repetition is significant in helping us to answer that question from this psalm. If you look at verse 2 and verse 6, you will find that there is language that is almost identical. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be greatly moved. And then verse 6, he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be moved. Repetition is significant. In verse 11, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, mercy, for you render to each one according to his work. The repetition is designed to underscore the significance of something. It's intended to make sure that we get the message And here the message comes twice in nearly identical language and in truly poetic style, the very minor variation actually serves to send home the message all the more effectively. Here is the peace of the child of God. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I shall not be greatly moved. There is here, first of all, a threefold security. This man has a safe place. He has a safe room, if you like. Now, David, who writes this language, David knows the value of a true refuge in times of distress. He's a man who's been hunted on the mountains like a partridge. He's a man who's been betrayed, a man who's been pursued, a man who's had to escape out of his own bed and out of his own house, a man who's taken refuge in caves, who's been amongst his very enemies in trying to escape from his enemies. And this is a man who is able now to speak of personal security. My rock, my salvation, my defence. The language is reasonably straightforward, especially if you are David or know David. A rock here is simply a stone or perhaps even a rampart. It's the language of unchanging strength, which means that when you are settled on or perhaps better in the rock, then you will not be shaken by the storms that come upon you. It's not a little rock like the the small pebble that you might pick up from a beach. It's a great stone. It's a mighty mass. It is a, a mountain rampart where you are on the rock and in the rock. It's not going to be easily shaken. And then there's my salvation. David is kept from all harms and distresses. He is being delivered and he is being preserved. It's the language of a complete escape that means you will not be swallowed up by your enemies. You will not be overcome by your miseries. My rock, says the psalmist, my salvation, and then my refuge or my defence, my stronghold, my high tower. 
Some of you like going to see the, the old uh, buildings with their, their, their great crenellations and those mighty towers set around on the wall. Well, this is a high tower. It's on a high place and it is built up. It's the kind of fortification from which you can look down at your enemies scurrying like ants below you and you can know yourself secure above danger. You are not going to be wounded by those who assault you. You are uh, living, as it were, above temptations. This is a man who is protected. In the rock, he is safe. Through salvation, he is kept. On his tower, he can be calm because he has this entirely safe place. My rock, my salvation, my defence. So not only do you have that repeated twice, but you've got three related ideas, all of which are intended to communicate with this sort of drumbeat of certainty that I am secure, I am safe. Now, can you say the same thing? Can you say it with regard to your living and to your dying? Can you say it with regard to all your circumstances? Can you say it with regard to the temptations that you face? Can you say it with regard to the accusations of the evil one? Can you say it with regard perhaps to those memories of sins past that may bubble up in your soul from time to time and make you wonder what is taking place? Can you say it with regard to those temptations that sometimes will rush in upon you? Can you say it with regard to the doubts and the fears that assail you and undermine you? Can you say it with regard to the slanders that you may face? Can you say it with regard to those who hate you because you are seeking to follow after Jesus Christ? My rock, my salvation, my defence, my refuge. How does anybody get to speak like that? Especially in the midst of these troubles. My soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. This is going on around him. And under those circumstances, I have a rock. I have salvation. I have a refuge. I have a defense. What enables any man, any woman to speak in this way? Notice the exclusivity of this security. It's a divine exclusivity. He only, my rock. He only, my salvation. He only, my defence. It's not so much then a place. The places illuminate the person it's not because he's got a mountain fortress it's not because he's got a particular ally it's not because he's got a great tower it's because he has a god he only my rock my salvation my defense 
Verse 1, truly my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only, my rock and my salvation, my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. Verse 5, my soul waits silently for God alone. Again, he's heaping up this. He's insisting upon it. He's talking to himself. My soul, listen to what I tell you. Take your eyes off of those things that are taking place around you. Look away from those enemies and troubles that are pressing in upon you. Look up. My soul, wait silently for God alone. Don't be looking to the hills for your help. Don't be trusting in the allies that you might find among men. My expectation is from him. He only, my rock and my salvation my defense I shall not be moved in God my salvation and my glory the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God if someone were talking to you like this by the end of the conversation you would probably be backing off a little bit and saying okay give me some breathing space David gives himself no breathing space He's talking to himself. He's insisting upon these things to himself. He's got himself hard and fast. He's backed himself, in the sense, into the corner. And he says, this is what you need to take account of. And he describes God, or he uses a name for God that speaks of his almightiness. This is Elohim. This is the mighty God. This is God in his strength who is my rock. God in his strength who is my salvation. God in his strength who is my defense. In Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 4 and then verse 15, you get the same kind of language used in the Song of Moses. God is the rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. David is drawing on this imagery, this language, this substance that has been the comfort of God's people down through the ages. Verse 15. Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. He grew fat and thick. You are a beast. Then he forsook God who made him and scornfully esteemed the rock of his salvation. They turned their backs upon God who in his strength would be their rock, their salvation and their refuge. And David in his time of trouble, he's saying to himself, he's working into himself, he's grinding into his soul that he's going to turn to God, his rock, his salvation and his defence. There are fading and failing refuges. One of our challenges is that when we are in trouble, we tend to turn to something other than God, or at least we try and put something alongside of God, or perhaps we go first to something else. We try and figure it out our own way. We're foolish creatures, aren't we? You'd have thought after the, what, 20th time, 50th time, we'd have learned the lesson. You know, next time, next time I'm going to go straight to God. What do we do next time? I'll see if I can sort this out myself. I'll see if I can work this through myself. I'll rely on my own strength. I'll rely on my own resources. I'll look to some other creature help, some other creature comfort. Men of low degree are a vapour. Men of high degree are lie. 
If they are weighed on the scales, they are altogether lighter than vapour. Do you trust in man, in yourself, or in any other mere creature? Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. The things that we have, whether gotten righteously or unrighteously, what's our safety net? How do we think? It's all right, I've got a little bit tucked away. If I'm in trouble, I can work my way out of trouble. If I'm under trial, I can deal with this by myself. I have the resources available. No, you don't. No, your relations and your possessions, they cannot and will not help you under the kinds of trials and distresses of which we speak here. We grasp at the stuff of this world for safety, We grasp at the stuff of this world for security. We look at the people and the things that we can rely upon and we imagine that perhaps this time they won't crack under us and even pierce our hands. We can do it even in the church of Jesus Christ. If you have a famous enough preacher, if you have a man with the right status and the right celebrity, if you can just attract the right class of people, if you can just build up a kind of a congregational nest egg, if you can get enough numbers, then everything will be fine, then everything will be safe. If we can just get the right people, the right stuff in the right places, it's repugnant how easily we fall prey to the the carnality of the world's thinking. We start weighing and measuring on the world's scale. Men of low degree of vapour, men of high degree of lie. You've got plenty of stuff. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. How often do people and things need to be exposed before we stop relying on them? How many times do you need to be disappointed before you stop expecting not to be disappointed? And start looking for something that really endures. And for some of you, this isn't just a question of of, of relative peace. Where are you looking for your eternal security? Where do you stand with regard to living and dying? You think of how quickly death can come. You think of how rapidly, in the course of the ups and the downs of nations... In the challenges and changes of your own life. Do you have a rock? Do you enjoy salvation? Have you got a refuge against death itself? Have you got a safe place where the wrath of God cannot reach you? Have you found a way whereby the very God against you have against whom you have sinned will be your defender, your deliverer, your redeemer? We keep making the same mistake. So how do we stop making it? Isn't that the more important question? What is David doing? How does he respond to these challenges in a way that stops him running down those false roots of refuge? Well, he very deliberately turns his back on everyone and everything else. He does it, if you like, positively and negatively. He only, and therefore nothing and no one 
else. He reminds himself of the truth about men and about things. He might have, under other circumstances, have reminded himself also that the idols of this world, they have eyes but they can't see, they have ears but they can't hear, they have hands but they cannot act, they have feet but they cannot move, that everything other than God will not supply what is needed. He reminds himself, and you and I need to remind ourselves, of the weakness of the creature, of the emptiness of the things in this world with regard to the kind of trials which we face, of the unreliability of relations and possessions, even those who may mean well that these things will not do the job, of the passing nature of the things of this world, so that if I think I can rely upon them when I come to that last moment and I breathe my last breath, these are the things that are going to fall away. And what then will I possess? Will I have a rock when these pebbles have been taken away from me? Will I have salvation when these false deliverers have faded away? Where will be my defence when everything that I'd built turns out to be a wall of polystyrene rather than a high tower that will be my, my, my refuge? These things frustrate us. And David reminds himself, this is what it's like. This is what they will prove, the low men and the high men. Riches gained in whatever way. You need very deliberately to turn your back upon all other things and to turn your face to God only. And that's why David is hammering away at his own soul. That's why he's insisting upon God in his covenant character. He's dwelling upon him. He is, by the grace of God, this isn't just an act of psychological violence to himself. But my soul silently waits for God. From him comes my salvation. He only, my rock. He only my salvation. He only my defence. My expectation is from him, my rock, my salvation, my defence, him alone. In God, my salvation, in God, my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge in God. It's not a mantra. It's the truth repeated over and over again. A deliberate turning of your eyes, the eyes of your faith, away from everything that this world offers as a refuge, to God as the rock, God as your salvation, God as your defence. It means dwelling upon the nature of God in his relationship to you as one of his beloved children, often, accurately, repeatedly and deeply. Meditating upon God as he makes himself known to his people in Christ Jesus. Not just God, but my God, my rock, my salvation, my refuge. It's not then merely a doctrinal exercise. Let me tell myself true things about God. It's the pursuit of real communion with him. It's dwelling upon God as he's made himself known to us. 
And as God's people today, we see this character most plainly revealed in Jesus Christ. How often do we pause and ponder and consider what God is to us in Christ Jesus? Not as an empty mantra, not as some kind of persuasive chant, not as doing some kind of psychological violence to ourselves. But you notice what David does. He's using the old language. This is God's self-revelation. This is what he showed himself to be to Moses. David knows. David has seen historically and experientially out of his own life experience the folly of turning from the rock of our salvation and the security of knowing God as the rock and our salvation. And he is saying this is true. And it has been seen and known down through the ages. And this is what God has made himself known to me to be. And this is where I see it. And this is where I find my security in it. This is where I have the assurance of it. These are the words that God has spoken to me himself. Brothers and sisters, do you have those precious portions when your soul is assaulted, when you've sinned yet again against your God, that you have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous one, whose blood is cleansing you from all transgressions? When you feel distant, when you feel cold, that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. When your own sins bubble up, when you're tempted blasphemously to believe that maybe God can't save you, to go back to consider that when God sets his love upon a man, a woman, a boy or a girl, he has said that he will save them and he will save them to the end. When you're tempted to use that I hope I'm saved language you remember that Christ sets his hands upon a man Christ takes that person Christ takes that woman that boy that girl and he takes them to himself and there is certainty there there is assurance there when you wonder whether or not God is speaking truth that his words do not fall to the ground when you wonder does he have the power to do these things you remember that this is the God who flung the stars into their courses when you wonder whether or not he has regard for you in your littleness and your foolishness the God who remembers when a single sparrow falls to the ground when the God who when you're you're worried about your your distresses when you feel utterly broken and and battered and bruised as with a mother's tender hand he gently leads his chosen band David's not hammering away at himself in order to hurt himself. David's hammering away at himself to chip away the muck and the filth that so easily accumulates upon him and to hammer home deep into his soul these sweet and wonderful truths. God only, my rock, my salvation, my defence. Have you found God to be such a one for you? No one else will do this for you. No one else can do this for you. Jesus Christ is our rock. He is our salvation, our deliverer, 
and our protector and our preserver. God has made himself known in Christ Jesus as the refuge from everything that can come against us, even from his own wrath. God himself has, as it were, wrapped himself around us to defend us from the righteous judgments of his own holiness. He has turned his holiness around us as a shield so that we can say, God, my rock, my salvation and my defence. But you can only say this through Christ. He is the, the cleft rock into which you can come. He is the one who delivers you. He's the one who lifts you up above all that which would bring you down and drag you down even to the very depths of hell. Until you have God in Christ, you have no rock, no salvation and no defence. Once God is yours, because Christ is yours, he only, my rock, my defence, my salvation, I shall not be greatly moved. That's the comforting reality that bubbles up out of the soul of someone who has again by faith appropriated God in his covenant character in Christ. Now you notice it is not a denial of the buffetings. It's not a sense of, you know, if I can just get these rose-tinted spectacles on, all of life will look better. Verses 3 and 4 are still there. How long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you, like a leaning wall and a tottering fence. They only consult to cast him down from his high position. They delight in lies. They bless with their mouth, but they curse inwardly. That hasn't been taken away from this man. This is the experience through which David is passing. This is the reason why he's having to speak to himself in this way. And God's response is not to take these things out of the picture, but to put himself in the picture. David's conviction as he considers God in relationship to him is, I shall not be greatly moved, I shall not be moved. He knows now that he is able to face all of these things secure in his God. One commentator says, moved but not removed, shaken but not shattered. And there are other psalms that speak to precisely the same kind of experience. Yes, this is a troublous time. Yes, these are challenging circumstances. But God is God to us. The steps of a good man, Psalm 37, verse 23, are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Or Psalm 55 and verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. Shaken, but not shattered. I shall not be greatly moved, and then I shall not be moved at all. David sees himself as a ship at anchor. Remember Psalm Acts 27 this morning? Boys and girls, how many anchors did they drop off the stern of the ship? Four, yeah. Some of you are putting your hands up, some of you are putting four fingers up. Yeah, four anchors. Why? 
Because in that storm, they needed something that was going to hold them in their place. And you remember when dawn broke, they were, they were trying to work out how they were going to get an anchor off the front of the ship as well. They wanted to make sure that in the midst of buffetings of that storm, they had enough holding in the ground of that bay that they were not going to be swept away. And that's how David perceives himself. He's dropped anchor. There are enough points of fixedness and firmness in his God. He's anchored to the rock. He's standing in the rock. He's safe in his tower. He's got this deliverance and this preservation. He's able now to ride out this storm. Yes, they will strike at me, but they cannot truly touch me. I don't know if you've ever seen those roly-poly toys. Some of them are very small. Some of them are very big. Some human-sized ones, some are fun fairs and things. You try and knock them over. You ever done that? You smack them with your fists or with a bat or something like that. Or if they're small enough, you just knock them and down they go and up they come. Down they go and up they come. Down they go and up they come. Why? Because of the weight at the bottom. Doesn't matter how hard you hit them, they will bounce back. They will not be moved, not greatly moved. The weight lies at the bottom. There's a rock, there's a defence, there's a security. The weight is at the base. And that's what it's like for a Christian. You notice even the progress. Isn't this sweet? From verse 2, I shall not be greatly moved, to verse 6, after he's talked about the trouble that he still faces, I shall not be moved at all. In the very course of this psalm, brothers and sisters, David's faith grows by exercise. This is not an empty mantra. The more he considers the character of God in relation to him, the more secure and certain he becomes. The more peace and calmness grips his soul. As God fills his view, his troubles fade to the fringes. It's not that they're no longer there in his life, but they have been displaced by his sense of and conviction concerning God. The more we trust God in Christ, the more we commit ourselves wholeheartedly and readily to the hands of our Lord Jesus, the more trustworthy and reliable we find him. You ever tested a rope in an outdoor shop? See people going up to those, those rolls, or, or maybe it's a, a DIY place. You see people standing in the shop and they, they pull out a couple of yards, they sort of do this. And you think, well, <laughs> it's great, but I'm not going to trust that when I'm hanging off the rock face. This? No? Okay. When do you know the strength of that rope? It's when you're hanging off the rock face, when all your weight is upon it. That's where you prove the strength of the rope. Not when you're mucking about in the shop when all your weight is hanging upon it and then you say now this will hold me up so it is with God my friends you'll not get comfort from steering away from trouble you'll get your comfort from trusting in God in trouble you'll not get your peace 
by trying to avoid these trials and temptations. Your peace will come because in the midst of them, you are again and again proving God to be your rock, your salvation and your defence. Perhaps one of the reasons why we don't always enjoy this kind of comfort and certainty is because we've avoided all of the circumstances in which it would become most precious to us. And perhaps for some of us, we would have avoided circumstances into which God in his wisdom has brought us to teach us what we would not have learned otherwise, that he only is my rock and my salvation, my defence. I shall not be greatly moved. Haven't you found him so? Isn't that your testimony this evening? Some of us who've been in the way for years or even decades, isn't this what you can say this evening? He only, my rock, my salvation, my refuge. And out of that conviction and experience, you are able to say, not, and now my life is without trouble. And now I no longer face temptations. And now there's no trial that I need to deal with. No, not that, but this. When those things continue to come upon me, I shall not be greatly moved. I have this peace because I know this God. Or perhaps better, he knows me. We have a strong city. God will appoint salvation for walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation which keeps the truth may enter in. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. When you know that the God in whom is eternal strength is your rock, your refuge, your salvation always and entirely and alone. Then, like a ship anchored in the storm, it's not that you don't feel the waves and the billows, but they do not carry you away. Like a toy that is being battered by those who assault it without, the weight at the base keeps rolling you back upright. Some of you may know about the the Greek myths, the legends, the, the tasks of Hercules or Heracles. Along one of those paths, Heracles came across another great man. His name was Antaeus. And Antaeus challenged Heracles to a wrestling match. Now, Heracles, being the, uh, the hero that he was, assumed that he would be able to, to deal with this Antaeus very easily. But the harder he fought him, and the more he seemed to batter him, the stronger Antaeus became. And Heracles was forced to retire. He had to go back the same way the next day and face the same challenge. And in the night, if I remember correctly, there was a, a person who came and betrayed Antaeus to Heracles. He said, you need to remember that the mother of Antaeus is Gaia, the earth. And as long as Antaeus touches the ground, he is strong. Every time you throw him down, 
he recovers and becomes stronger. And what did Heracles do? He lifted him up off the ground and gave him a bear hug and so won the fight in a particularly gruesome fashion. What's my point in reminding you of the story of Heracles and Antaeus? Where did Antaeus derive his strength? When he was in contact with the ground, he could not be beaten. So much more so, much more gloriously so with the child of God. My friends, when your feet are upon the rock, there is no one who can destroy you. When you have God as your salvation, there is no one and nothing that can overcome you. When God is your refuge, when God is your defence, when God himself is your high tower, not Satan himself, not every accusation, not all the fiends of hell, not any sin that you have committed or are committing, not any trial that you may face, not every sickness that may rack your body with pains and distresses, not the grave itself can rob you of your peace and your comfort if they are found in God by Christ. And so you and I need to do again and again what David does here. My soul, wait silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defence. I have seen him, I have known him, by his mercy and grace I have grasped him in Christ Jesus. I shall not be greatly moved. And then you speak to yourself again, and you speak to yourself again, and you find the words of God's self-revelation and you press them into your own soul. And by degrees, as you go on through that trial, you come to the point where even I shall not be greatly moved becomes more and more, I cannot be moved at all. Brothers and sisters, if we act our faith, if we cast ourselves upon God, we shall not be shaken because he will prove again and again and more and more your rock, your salvation and your defence. Amen.